What are your writing dreams? Finishing that book, quitting the day job, becoming a best-selling author? Well, over four years, we've studied the advice of over 300 best-selling authors who've collectively sold over half a billion books. And we are excited to announce the Best Seller Academy. If you're ready to take your writing to the next level with accountability, craft, and coaching, your bestseller dreams are now only a click away. To find out more and apply, visit bestsellerexperiment.com forward slash academy. That's bestsellerexperiment.com forward slash academy. Let's run the show. Hello and welcome to the Bestseller Experiment, where we continue to discover what makes a bestseller and inspire you to start, finish and publish your book. I'm Mark Stay. And I'm Mark DeVoe, and we want to welcome you all, wherever you are in the world, if this is the very first time you've heard this podcast, or if this is the 400th and somethingth time, it's so, so lovely to have you. But before we dive in, we'd like to say thank you to all of the people that support this show. In particular, this week, we'd like to thank our new patrons, Sean Dyer and Colin Mofield. Colin and Sean, we are so grateful for your support. And if you would thank like you, to be you, like you. Colin, if you'd like to be a Sean, pop over to bestsellerexperiment.com forward slash support and find out all the goodies that you can get including the extended podcasts that we've been doing the last few weeks you get about an extra half an hour of me and mark that for some people might mark sound like absolute hell but if, if it sure is against the geneva that... convention <laughs> but if you are interested do do that and pop along and see all the goodies the extra goodies you get as well and being and, and and you'll get deep dives and speaking of deep dives we've got a new deep dive that came out this week which features one of our long-term patron supporters and um, podcast supporters uh, it's a deep dive with Susie Edge talking about TikTok and how TikTok drove pre-orders for a new book, Mortal Monarchs. And she talks about what content attracts followers, why authors are perfect for TikTok because we tell stories. It's brilliant. It, she convinced me to get back onto TikTok and I have. Uh, but also Susie's book, Mortal Monarchs, now about a week, her book is about the kings and queens of England, Great Britain, and how they've died over the years. Now, I don't know if you've seen the news, Mr. D., we had a death in the royal family recently. You might have seen it on the news. And she was terrified this was going to be... Well, her book has reprinted twice. <laughs> and it's been an absolute smash hit. So, um, you know, but her book was pre-ordering fantastically well beforehand as well. And she's brilliant with, with TikTok. So I'm going to put a link in the show notes so you can check that out. And there's almost a hundred other deep dives just like this uh, over on Patreon. And uh, if you join the Academy, they're all in the Academy as well. Uh, so, yeah, do check it out. Yeah, and we should mention as well to everyone listening, I know a lot of people hear the words TikTok, as I did. And I thought, oh, that's something for like teens. I, I don't even know how to download it. I don't know what to do. But <laughs> but Susie smashes the mold, doesn't she? I mean, she oh, openly yeah. says, you know, I wasn't going to dance around in a bikini. I mean, Susie, Susie you know, um, she, what was it now? She got uh, two and a half million likes, was it? Uh, I, I think no, it's it's two hundred fifty thousand followers and five followers. million likes. Five million likes. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, yeah. she is certainly, and she certainly like breaks the mold. It, this is not. This is TikTok is now not just for teens. In fact, everything, everything evolves over time. And you know, you know, you're embracing it, Mark. I'm even tempted to have a look. God help me. <laughs> but um, yeah, so if you if you want to kind of understand a bit more about what TikTok is and how it works and how it is actually, it is it is having a a huge, huge effect on a number of things, uh, least of all f taking down Facebook, it appears at the moment. It seems, yeah. to, it seems to be a big challenge <laughs> for Mr. Zuckerberg. Um, but at the same time, it's, you know, like I said earlier, a few episodes ago, I walked into my big bookstore in town, front page, you know, books trending on TikTok. I'm like, mm. whoa, it's just, or book talks, yeah. I think they call them. But so the, the, the point is, is, there's a lot going on, on around books, which I don't think we've ever seen before on other social media platforms. Um, so if you're interested in that deep dive, it's an absolute must if you want to get to know a bit more about and see how someone's made a massive success of it. So mm. brilliant. Good and with something which is quite um, a niche area as well, Mark, isn't it really? I mean, um, you know, she's picked a very specific interest and found that people love 
love her her mini videos on that yeah well we've always said that find your tribe find your read if you can find your readers and delight them which she does brilliantly her videos are so entertaining um then you know you're off to the races so i think it's um you know you can't please everybody but when you find the people who love your stuff you know you're it's it's great absolutely brilliant um so yeah do do check it out susie is really great fun so what else have you been up to this week mark Oh, I've launched a bookstore. You've launched a bookstore? Yes. Unbelievable. What, you mean you actually kind of went to a bookstore and had to cut a, uh, a big red ribbon? <laughs> You're that famous now. <laughs> yes, yeah. Yeah, I named this bookstore. No, 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 no. It's like all modern things. It's it's on, on the internets. Um, yeah, uh-huh. I've got a, if you go to witchesofwoodville.com, the village bookshop, and I will put a link in the show notes so you can check that out. You can buy books direct from me. It's all the rage, you know. So, That's um, cool. you know, yeah. So yeah, literally, so, are you, so have you got a little kind of, um, band of merry men in in a back room somewhere like um you're looking at him (laughs) (laughs) that's that's amazing so they actually literally the orders come direct to you i i i opened it yeah i opened it last night two orders this morning it's fantastic two people bought two people bought complete sets of the witches of woodville books uh which i've signed and stamped and they get a free bookmark and you know they're awaiting collection from my postie and off they go so yeah so in essence you become you, you you become the Amazon. bookstore and, and you yeah you get you so you you can actually earn a little bit more money on each book that you sell because yes. you're getting the kind of retail part plus the bit you get as, as, yeah. as the yeah and it's 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 the bundling that's kind of the key it's it's this thing that i can i can offer you something other people can't i can offer you signed dedicated copies so i can put a little message you get the library stamp which is exclusive to me you know it's mm. so you get a little stamp in the book that says it's it's on permanent loan from the woodville village library love it. Uh, and i put a message and and you get a free bookmark and you know hand packed so i'm not expecting to be swept off my feet let's be honest but it was one of these things well, I've been mean to do it. Queeve McDonald, friend of the podcast, he did it recently. And, really? Um, yeah, and I ordered a book from him. And um, uh, so, yeah, I, I went to my web guy and he said, you know, we use WooCommerce and it's all been very smooth yeah. so far. So, yeah. Well, do you know what? It's interesting you say that because, I mean, as you know, I launched um, the, the very last monster book for, for mm. Jen a few years ago. We did the whole thing, apart from two local bookstores that said they would right. stock it. We did the whole thing using WooCommerce, right. and and um, and yeah, we 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 shifted a lot of books, a lot of books. Um, oh, the other thing that I like about it is it's an opportunity for fans of authors to um, kind of in, to invest more in that author because if the author's getting a larger cut, I always think authors get too small a cut. In fact, every artist, everyone listens to this who's a car artist will know, every artist in the world does not get enough. what they put into the process like the fact that for example um you know a retailer make maybe maybe 50 percent on the cost of book and then the author is making you know a a small percentage of that that's wrong but it should be the other way around like so i think this is great because it empowers the author um and it also means that you know there's a more of a longevity for an author's career hopefully for the rest of their life because people that buy direct are actually saying we want more we want to support your your livelihood and we want more books from you please yeah it's that whole shop local movement but you know with a connection with a, with an author and I, I do think this is the future this is why i'm sort of doing this now because i want to gear up for this because i yeah. think this is where things are going uh, and also listeners i am offering signed copies of back to reality now because it's only signed by me um so but once you've got it signed by me all you have to do is track down mr d and get him <laughs> to sign his half hey i love that i love that idea <laughs> The first person to track me down with a with a copy of your signed version in the UK gets a free hobnob. That's brilliant. Yeah. And also, and also, Mister D gets fifty percent of each sale. So you know, uh, obviously, the money is going to come rolling in now. Mister D well, can retire that, early. There we go. Hey, you, yeah, that sounds perfect. That sounds absolutely brilliant. I should probably order some at this end as well so I can do the Canadian distribution end. You see, that's yeah. the benefit of us co-writing. When you co-write with people, you should co-write with seven authors, one on each continent, and then you'd have worldwide distribution. How about that? Definitely, that's definitely. fantastic. Wow, 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 wow. Yeah. Well, yeah. let's dive into our incredible interview. Hang We're going to do... No, 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 no. Oh, no I've got to plug one more thing. I've got to Go plug on. one more thing. Uh, we've got a live show this week. Oh, of course. We are, we're six years old. Our podcast has been going for six years. Uh, so Wednesday, 12th of October, it's 7 p.m. in the UK, 
11 a.m. Pacific, 12 noon MDT, 1 p.m. CDT, 2 p.m. EDT. I'll put a list. You can see it. But anyway, we've got a live show, and it's going to be streamed live on YouTube. You folks are all invited. Uh, what we're going to do, we're going to theme it, um, how to make a podcast. So we've been doing this six years. We think we're just about getting the hang of it. So we're going to give you a sort of behind-the-curtain peek at what actually goes into making a weekly one-hour, one-hour-plus podcast. So we're going to talk about how we've managed to keep going, how we work together remotely, uh, and and the key question, will it ever end? I've I've put this on social media and people have gone, it's not going to end, is it? (laughs) Well, you come to the live show and find out. Um, So if you've got any questions about how we do this, Come along Wednesday, twelfth of October. There's a link in the show notes. It's going to be going out on uh, on the newsletter. Sign up to the newsletter. More details there. Yeah, absolutely. And so again, if you're interested, I mean, podcasting's all the rage now, isn't it, Mark? I mean, we were a little bit <laughs> a little bit ahead of the curve, I guess, six yeah. years ago. But yeah. if you're interested in learning how to podcast, we will do our utmost to completely put you off. No, but in all seriousness. <laughs> If you are interested, we do. We want to. We want to reveal a bit behind the curtain of like what goes into it because I think a lot of people have a lot of misconceptions about um, giving birth, as I like to call it, giving birth to a baby and then realizing you've got to put it in, you know, nappies and diapers for the rest of their life and keep feeding it. So yeah, it's it's going to be fascinating. We've already had, already had some amazing questions. By the way, if you are in the BXP team and in the academy. Um, you can submit questions in advance as well for for the show, and we'll be we'll be looking mm. at those and picking out our favourites. So do do pop over there if you want to get uh, your question in before the show. Fantastic stuff. And also, we should say quickly if you want to get a reminder and a link to the YouTube page where it's all going to be live, go to the newsletter uh, section on our website, bestsellerexperiment.com. Click on newsletter, put in your email address, and we'll be sure to send you a reminder. Plus a weekly uh, email where we tell you about the episode we've just recorded and all the great things we've learned and that you can learn too. So Mark, let's talk about the, well, a returning guest um, this week. Tell us about our guest this week, Mark. This is great. This is C.L. Taylor, Callie Taylor, who uh, came on the podcast on episode 127. And uh, I'll put a link to that in the show notes so you can check that out. But Callie is wonderful. Each of her books has hit the Sunday Times bestseller lists. Uh, Her first one, Sleep, was there for seven weeks, which is amazing. The paperback went into the top 10 as well. It was a Rich and Judy book club choice. Just incredible. It won uh, the best ebook at the uh, that year's Amazon Publishing Readers Award. She sold over a million copies of her psychological thrillers in the UK alone. They've been translated into 20 languages. She's been optioned for TV. And she's got a new cup, uh, a new novel, The Guilty Couple, uh, which is out. It's a ninth thriller. It's pow- pulse-pounding stuff. Now, we recorded this back in June, just before the launch of The Guilty Couple. And we, we talk about what an author does in the week before publication. But more importantly, we talk about... She, she's done a brilliant blog piece on how to turn an idea into a novel. So we talk about all sorts of stuff, naming protagonists, protagonists' wants and needs, inciting incidents, all sorts of really, really good fun. So it's it's a really good fun chat. Brilliant. So let's dive in and listen to Mark chatting with the absolutely lovely C.L. Taylor. Kelly Taylor, welcome back to the bestseller experiment. How are you today? I'm really good, thank you. If a little bit frantic because I'm one week away from publication, so everything is happening at the moment. <laughs> so uh, what's 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 the week before publication like for you? What's uh, what's the priority? You know, you were talking before we start recording. You're talking about prizes. You you know what what's the to do list like for for an all best selling author a week before publication? Yeah, the, the to do list is very much um, lots of interviews that I have to um, complete. Um, brilliant podcasts like this one. Um, yesterday I actually not to do with this book but I went to Portsmouth because one of my young adult books was up for an award so that took the best part of a day um what else I'm writing articles for things um I am trying to get ready I do recently over the last few years because of lockdown I do a live launch on my Facebook page right and I run like little silly competitions and games for my listeners my readers and um, so I've been gathering prizes and started to think about what those games are going to be and started planning that. Um, I'm sure there's a million other things that I've forgotten, but basically the to-do list in my phone is quite frankly ridiculous. Oh, and I've got a bunch of um, pre-ordered books coming 
at any any time today that I need to sign by tomorrow. Um, so yeah, busy. Right. So if, <laughs> if we hear a doorbell and you have to run off, that's why. <laughs> yeah, it's probably the books. Yeah. Fair enough. Fair enough. We'll keep it keep an ear open for that. But th- this is one of the things that lockdown changed, didn't it? We suddenly online streaming book launches were only a few authors really did them. I know Mark Edwards did them. And I remember when he came on the podcast, we thought that's, you know, that's extraordinary. Not many people doing that. But of course, we've all had to become streaming experts during lockdown. How have you made that adjustment? How has that been an easy adjustment for you? Um, I think the first one that I did, because in 2020, I had two books out, a young adult and um, strangers, one of my adult books. And and I thought I have to do something. Oh, also in 2020, my publicist was um, furloughed, so I had to take over all of the publicity. Um, yeah. So I, I was a bit frantic, really, because how were readers going to find out about my book if I didn't have a publicist? And Sainsbury's weren't stocking any books, um, so. Yeah, I kind of took it upon myself. And when I did that first live launch and I saw the the numbers clicking up and clicking up, I think at some point I had maybe 400 of wow. my Facebook followers all just watching me. And um and yeah, it was it was a little bit um little bit nerve-wracking just being like a, a one-person show, mm. really. You're there, you can read their responses, but you're not getting any faces, you know, or reactions other than the words appearing on the screen. Um, but I had a bottle of wine at my side, so <laughs> I think that helped. But um, I think I think I've got used to it now. Um, you know, I tell myself like it's an hour, mm-hmm. and they are enjoying it. They do like it. Just keep talking. the The main issue is deciding when to stop for a sip of water, because then you stop talking and it's just very quiet, and you're aware that everybody's just watching you taking a sip of water. <laughs> Yes, and so uh yeah it's it's okay but um unlike some authors i know like miranda dickinson she does a, a weekly chatty chatty thing show mm. i think she calls it and every wednesday she does a little sort of live with her facebook followers i don't think i could do it weekly mm. but um for every book that comes out then yeah it's quite good fun excellent stuff yes the, the thing I, I drink a lot of water when i'm doing podcasts and you, you do worry that the glug 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 and your stomach going boing is going to you know be picked up by the microphone <laughs> but we are here to discuss your fantastic new novel the guilty couple uh t- which is such a terrific premise uh tell tell us about the guilty couple so the guilty couple is about a woman called olivia and she's a pretty average woman woman um well if if slightly privileged she lives in london she's married an art gallery with um somebody that she met at university and then her world suddenly changes when she's there's a accusation that she's conspired to have her husband murdered by a hitman and she goes to court and she's proven guilty And she realises that actually it was her husband who set her up. And she serves five years in prison um, of a 10-year term and comes out on licence. And she and her cellmate, Smithy, who's a a, a pickpocket and a thief, um, decide that they're going to prove Olivia's innocence in order to get her daughter back and to get revenge on Dominic, the husband, and also the bent cop, Danny Anderson, who helped um, Dominic frame her. There's also a mysterious texter who seems to be pulling Dominic's strings, and Olivia has no idea who that is. Fantastic, absolutely fantastic! Such a great premise, really hooks you in. Now we don't do the "where do you get your ideas from" question on this podcast normally, <laughs> but you did a blog the other day. You did this fantastic blog, and folks, we're going to put a link in the show notes. Check this out. I wish more authors were this generous and, and honest about the process of of getting from a simple idea to you know the the first page of prose but you did this fantastic blog uh called how do you turn an idea into a novel and uh well for you it started with the desire to write a particular kind of novel and buying a notebook uh, so let, let's start there with 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 the single thought i want to write a heist novel and the notebook yeah, absolutely. I wanted to write a heist novel, 
basically. I've written loads of psychological thrillers and I just fancy doing something a bit different. But my brand is psychological thrillers. So I was like, how can I write a heist novel and yet be on brand? Um, and so I watched a ton of heist movies. I watched all of the, the old black and white classic ones, The Killing, Rafifi, all of those. And they were all about men and groups of men stealing diamonds or stealing um, money. And I just thought, you know, I've seen a few female heist movies, but again, they're all about stealing money, typically. Um, and so I wanted to do something different. So I thought, well, maybe my character isn't trying. To, and so and then I've been framed. And then I thought, why is it so important to to prove her innocence? And I thought, oh, maybe she's got a daughter and the, she can't see the daughter um without you know her her ex-husband's permission but if she proves she's innocent she can do that and then I added a kind of ticking time clock um that appears in the novel where that starts to suspect that she will never see her again um so that really ups the stakes um so yeah I, I continually ask myself lots of why 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 you know my notebook here um, why do the characters act like this? You know, why does Dominic have to stop her? Why um, is Danny, the, the detective sergeant, also desperate to stop her? All of this sort of thing. And, um, and it sprung from there, really. And in the end, the actual heist itself only takes place in one chapter. Um, but that was the genesis of the idea. Um, and everything kind of hung around it. And hopefully it's one of the most exciting chapters that I've written because there is so much at stake. Fantastic. I want to talk about this notebook uh, because I'm, I've become a one notebook per project person. So I have a specific notebook for a specific project and even the cover seems to need to match the mood of the piece, which is, which yeah, is probably, yeah, yeah. probably not healthy. But um, so is... Uh, you're you're writing by hand. You're 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 sticking with one notebook per pro, per project, and you're where are you starting? You know, is it the why question that you start with? Yeah, the the notebook thing. The last few books, I have um, gone onto the Papier website, and they do lovely customizable notebooks. And what I'll do for each project is I'll look through all the covers until I find one that chimes with what I want to write. Right, right whether it's the mood or, or the actual image. Um, for The Guilty Couple, I found a cover that had loads of women's faces on it. And, you know, that original idea of a woman and her female friends committing this heist, I was like, perfect, this, this represents the group of women. I gave it the working title Heist, <laughs> which is not very imaginative, but at the time that was all I had in my head, and then just C.L. Taylor. And I do this for every book. And behind me, oh, you can't see it, it's a, at the back of the um, trolley, is my new notebook for my new book. Um, and that's just got a picture of a dark rose on it. And I'm not going to tell you what the working title is. But again, it, it's, it's part of my process to choose that notebook. And um, I'm almost scared sometimes to start writing in it, but, but I will write in it. I'll try and write a little bit of a blurb. Um, and obviously that can change. I mean, looking back through the notebook that I wrote for The Guilty Couple, loads of it has changed um but I'll write you know I'll watch films for research so I watched a lot of prison documentaries um and I wrote notes on those just to add little bits of authenticity um mm. when I was actually writing the novel even though there's only one chapter where Olivia's actually in prison I still watched loads partly because I wanted to see the impact that that going to prison would have on a woman yeah, I, I saw again. This is all on the blog, folks. You, you know, you're speaking to detectives, barristers, probation officers. You're watching a Channel Five prison documentary. You're making notes all the way through. This is all, you know, grist to the mill, isn't it? And it's all going in this one resource, this this one notebook. Um, there's there's one thing, and authors we don't talk about this enough. You do a whole bit about naming the protagonist. And I think you have the, the 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 additional problem of you've been writing for ten years now. You've written all kinds of books. You know, you cut. You think, hang on, have I called someone this name before? Um, <laughs> it's a, quite a dilemma, isn't it? It's uh, it's it, and it can be one of these barriers that you think 
I can't write this until I get the name right. Is that is that the same with you? Yeah, that is that is absolutely true, and particularly for this book. On the inside page, I've actually listed all of the titles of all of my crime books and all of the names of the female protagonists to try and work out what names are left. Yeah. Um, I mean, obviously, there's loads of names left, but they always have to kind of fit fit the mood of the character, fit fit the class of the character, the age of the character. So um, Olivia in, in The Guilty Couple, um, I think she was originally Alex, and then she became Laura, and then she was Jude. Um, and she was Jude for quite a long time. And then I was like, no, she's not a Jude. And, <laughs> and then she's Olivia. So, you know, I crossed that out. Um, the the bank cop was originally called um, Brooke for quite a long time. And then, no, she became a Danny. Um, Smithy was Duffy, my my thief. Um, right. um, but yeah, I I can't settle into planning a book until the names are right. And I'm even doing that at the moment in my new one. I'm a bit like, oh no, I don't think she feels like an Imogen. I think, <laughs> and you know, and so I'm just going through Facebook. I'm looking at all of my friends' lists. I'm looking at their friends' lists <laughs> for a name that just chimes. Because I look, I look at you know the the baby most popular baby names for a yeah. year but actually they can be quite bland and mm. um and you need those names to contrast with each other enough so that the reader goes oh yeah I mean that's part of the reason that I called the thief Smithy I mean her right. name's Kelly Smith but you're going to distinguish Smithy from Olivia for example and Danny is almost an androgynous kind of name. So I do spend quite a lot of time thinking about the names and trying to get them to fit together. And they can't all start with the same letter and they can't all have the same number of syllables. Mm. So, yeah, there's a yeah. lot of crossing out in the notebook. Yeah, it's, it's also that thing you get halfway through a book and you realise you've got three characters and their names all starting with the letter S or something. And it just you just yeah. it get, start get, getting confused in your mind, let alone the readers. And then... Yeah, uh, and, exactly. uh, Another great, because uh, you've got lovely photos on this blog, uh, you know, of the the handwritten notes, and so you've got uh, you've got Jude crossed out, then live, and you've got wants, needs, flaws. Are these, you know, for you the most important aspects of of your of your characters? Yeah. Once I've decided, you know, what the book is about, um, and I've and I've sort of got my character, whether or not I've got their name right or not. The most important thing is to work out what they want, what their objective is in the book. So obviously for Olivia, it's to clear her name, get her daughter back and um, and get revenge on her husband. And then the need is, is probably the bit that takes me longer, um, you know, the emotional arc of the character. And I spend a lot of time thinking about that because in a way the need almost needs to kind of clash with the want um so you know maybe a character is very selfish and then they change and become selfless um and actually with Olivia I struggled quite a bit um with the need because at first I was like oh maybe she's really resentful and she needs to learn to accept what has happened and the fact that people treat her like a criminal and I just thought no 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 that doesn't that doesn't feel right and actually I can't tell you what the need is because it's quite important um it's revealed at the end of the book um, so, so I can't tell you that the flaw, I think the flaw is also important. That's another internal obstacle in the character that stops them from, or makes it harder for them to achieve their want. Um, so I think quite hard about that as well. Um, I think Olivia's flaw is, is probably just that she's, she, I'm not sure. I'm going to have to think about this. What is Olivia's flaw? I think she's too trusting, perhaps. Um, mm. Yeah. <laughs> but that said, you know, without giving anything away, as an author, you are very conscious of that character's journey of change, going from A to Z, you know, becoming almost the opposite of who they were at the beginning of the story. That's, And do you feel that once you have that ending, once you have that 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 uh, turnaround, that that's when you can really start writing? Is that Does that work for you? I mean, it, it does change sometimes. Um, often, I mean, I you know, I plot, I use the four-act structure. I've got loads of index cards stuck on a whiteboard um, beside me. 
But as I write it, I get to know the characters and things start to change. And then one event may pop into my head and that has a knock-on effect on the other. So a lot of the the scenes that I plan at the beginning will end up um, changing quite significantly sometimes. And often the ending will change. Um, I think I had quite a different kind of sort of very final scene in mind, um, final couple of scenes. And then as I got nearer, I was like, no, it needs to be this. This mm. this in my gut is, is telling me that this is the correct resolution for this right. book. Um, and I was nervous because, you know, I sort of plucked it out of thin air and I was like, oh, what, what if readers haven't followed me on this on this journey to this resolution? But actually so far, I've had not a single complaint about the ending. And lots of people say it was the right ending. Right. So that's good. Trust your gut. If your gut's telling you different from, from what you've planned. Brilliant stuff. And there's, again, this blog is just pure gold dust, folks. Uh, there, there's lovely stuff here about inciting incidents. And again, your, your handwritten notes, there's lots of why. There's lots of questioning and interrogating <laughs> those and what the other characters want as well. So you've got your protagonist, you've got her wants and needs and flaws, and now you're just piling it on, testing her with these other characters and, and, and themes. And is that where you feel you're getting momentum? Is that where it, it all starts to come together? Yeah, I need I need to know those initial things. Um, you know, the inciting incident when because Liv is a very actually that is her flaw. She's very um, by the book. Um, she doesn't put a step wrong. She would never want to break the law. Um, and when she comes out of prison, she's almost prepared to just sit it out and have these hourly meetings supervised with her daughter. Um, but something needs to to change that, to put her on the path where she will take more risks and break actually break the law in order to get what she wants. So I had to come up with a really good inciting incident that changes a woman who is law-abiding into somebody who will potentially break the law to get what she wants. And I thought a lot about that. And I thought at first I thought it was something to do with the husband, whatever. And I thought, no, no, not strong enough. And then as soon as I realised it was all to do with the daughter and that she finally sees her daughter after five years and her daughter rejects her. Her daughter thinks she tried to kill the father. And, you know, as a mother, I, you know, I could only imagine how that would feel, you know, not to have seen your child for five years and then your child rejects you and mm. thinks you are an awful person who tried to kill the other parent. And I thought, oh, my God, yeah that would make me really want to prove that I wasn't that person. And so that that inciting incident was so important once I got that. Um, but then I was like, right, yes, now I've got a rounded feel for this character and what's driving her. And regardless of what I throw at her in the rest of the book, that's the thing that's going to drive her through the book, that love for her daughter, that need. Yeah, that's all good, all good grist to the mill, isn't it? Another thing we don't yeah. talk about enough as authors is fear of the first page and you you talk about it here and this uh you know you've got a blank and again you're not typing on a laptop you're writing it down in this notebook and finding the voice of uh, of your protagonist can, can you talk about that yeah sure i've i've developed almost i won't say phobia but i do not like opening up you know a, a new word document or i use y writer which is like a free shrivener light um and i just don't like seeing that empty project and that empty first scene i find it hugely intimidating Mm. and and there's just too much self-consciousness there and awkwardness and oh you know you've got this great idea bubbling in your head and you don't want to spoil it by actually writing it (laughs) so what i've done over the last few books is try and write that first chapter in my notebook Mm. Um, where all the ideas are and research and everything because it it feels less pressure and also I think because as a child I wrote so many short stories and and books um, in notebooks that it almost feels like fun and it feels like less pressure Um, you know you can scribble bits out you're not staring at a word count in the bottom corner Um, so yeah I mean you know you've you've seen on the blog post the photo that I took most of it is scribbled out. I wrote, you know, a page and a half of my first chapter and huge amounts are scribbled out and then there's arrows writing bits more. 
And as I put in the blog post, pretty much only the first line um, <laughs> actually survived. Yeah. But it's almost kind of like a, a warming up exercise. You're kind of, you're trying to find the character's voice and you're like, no, they wouldn't say that, rewrite it, you know, add in this, you know, and and, and it helps. And um, I've done exactly the same for the new book now, feeling like, no, I can't do it. So getting the notebook out and just, you know, and I've actually had two attempts in the new book to get started. I realized that I'd started um, a little bit too far. So I had to put rewrite another chapter. But, you know, I worked that out by writing in the notebook and, yeah. and just thinking about it and stuff. It's, yeah. it's it's good for, you know, anybody who's a bit scared to just start, just get a notebook and you the pressure lifts. It's good. Yeah, I think you're definitely onto something there, that thing of, it takes you back to writing in school. It takes you back to when there was no pressure, there was no contract, there's no editor, there's no deadline. You're just doing it just for the joy of it. I think there's definitely something yeah. in that. Fantastic. Well, folks, you know, go to the blog, read the blog, then read The Guilty Couple, compare and contrast. This is a whole education for you. This is, this is you know, you will learn so much by by, by going through this. And, and Kelly, thank you so much for sharing that because it's, um, it's, it's a great sort of peek behind the curtain of, of how an amazing author works like that. And I, th- I find it very reassuring that I have many of the same fears and uncertainties as well. <laughs> it doesn't really go away, does it? You know, each, each, each book is a new kind of adventure, isn't it? A new journey. Yeah, I'm on I'm on number 10, which is actually book 14 because I've written another genres as well. Mm. <clears throat> and um no, it's exactly the same and also is there there's that feeling of being at the bottom of a mountain. Mm. You're like, "Oh, you know, now I really know, you know, when my legs are going to ache or, you know, when I'm going to want to sit down for a bit sort of thing." And uh, it's taking those first steps, but you know, after a while you get into your stride, so. Yeah. It'll be fine. It It always is. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Now, I I normally ask what's coming next. You you mentioned a notebook with a black rose. I guess you can't talk too much about that. But we're it's going to be another thriller. It's going to be full of twists and turns and all that stuff that we love. Yeah, it's um, if if you can say that the new book, The Guilty Couple, is a slight difference to my normal psych thrillers in that the the terrible thing has already happened and this is the aftermath it's it's like that again it's it's more about women taking control than terrible things happening to them um that is all i will say excellent (laughs) because i'm just too suspicious to put it out there when i've only written 1500 words yeah totally understand totally understand well we'll all be i mean in the meantime we've got the guilty couple to enjoy folks and all the other books that kelly has written so do check those out kelly thank you so much for coming back on the podcast it's a joy as always it's been absolutely brilliant and hope to speak to you again soon thank you so much mark it's been great mr stay that was fascinating and Again, so much to talk about. Let's dive straight in. Yeah. Naming protagonists. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's not an it's, easy it's, thing to do, is it? It's really hard. It is really hard. As she said, she went through, you know, Alex, Laura, Jude, and and that, that psychological barrier of I can't write this till I get the name right. Now, I am I like to think I write every day. I don't have any hesitation sitting down. I write really fluently and fl- um, fluidly, uh, but the thing that, always stops me in my tracks i've got to name a character and i go oh and you i sit there and that's yeah. what makes me stare out into the window <laughs> and then and then i stare i always i always do this and it never works i stare at my bookshelves and think maybe i can name them after the author of a book terry pratchett no i can't call him that <laughs> so then you know so and you as she said you know you go to google baby names and you think okay my character's 25 years old what are the popular names 25 years ago and then maybe you tie it into a location what the if they're born in america what what would they have been called then Uh, and they they can be a bit bland as well as you said and you there is this danger you can you can start giving characters the same names over and over but there is a big psychological barrier the best ones are where you go way back in history and then you can name your character something like ulysses p wunderbar or something like that because you know you know that's memorable as well it's interesting, isn't it? I think so. A couple of things come to mind for me in that I remember I remember going and seeing a um, a newborn baby at a maternity where one of my friends had a baby, and I, I went in there and I was all excited. You know, as you are, it's like an amazing moment. And then and 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 I knew that it was a boy, 
And as I, I walked up to the, the couple, you know, looking completely blissed out, you know, that kind of look after you've been up like 48 hours, you know, like, oh. <laughs> first, first child as well. And I went, oh, I said, this is amazing. I said, what's his name? And they said, oh, we haven't decided yet. And I was thinking, and then I picked him up and went, oh, hello, you. <laughs> I didn't know what to say. I didn't know what to call TBC. him. TBC. Yeah, it's, um, you know, and it's weird because, and I always, I always talk about this in coaching, actually. I say to people, if you want to make something official, if you if you want to like like a podcast, for example, or a book or something, or something you're thinking of doing and you're crossing that threshold, the moment you cross the threshold is the moment you name it. But 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 the problem is the minute you've named it, you kind of know that within about a week, no matter how weird you think that name feels and how much you say, oh, yeah, it's just a work in progress name, you know that you it starts to stick. Yeah. And I'll give you two examples of bands that did this. One was a, a small band known as The Beatles. And when mm. you actually stop and think about their name, The Beatles, it's like the most, like what, what comes into your head? If you'd stop like Paul and, Paul and John and Ringo, and I, I see these like, Beatles are, and it's a gross image. And you think, why I, did they pick that? I can, I can tell you, my my Aunt Marion, who was a nun, she talks about this in her book. And because she was a nun, she was closed off from the rest of the world in the 60s. And her brother was telling her about this band, the Beatles. And she was she immediately thought of like cockroaches and things yeah, exactly. across the kitchen. She was like, why have they named the... Of course, it came from Buddy Holly and the Crickets. They liked the idea of the Crickets. So they thought the Beatles. And of course, there was a pun in beat in the way they, they spelled yeah. it. So that's how that came about. But Interesting. yeah, it's weird. Who knew? So, so that's a, it's an interesting one because I also understand that for a lot of people, there's a fear of naming the protagonist because they kind mm. of know it's going to stick. And so I, I can totally understand, but you know, there's a very easy way out. There's a very easy way out. You don't need to look at bookshelves. You don't have to sit and write down different names. You simply use those wonderful internet name generators. Yeah. And my favorite one, Mark, I'm going to try it on you now. Uh, I'm going to, uh, we're going to find out what your porn star name is going to be oh god so you, so you need to tell me you need to tell me the, the name of the first pet you ever had and right. the and your childhood the name of the childhood street where you lived in so name of the pet first uh oh goldie goldie and the street where you you lived in in your youth well let's let's go for a place called st john's way so goldie st john that is a good <laughs> i'm i'm on only fans people if you want to come over and <laughs> Check it out. <laughs> mine, do you want to know mine is? Go on, then. It's dodgy. Mine is Nelly Revel. <laughs> <laughs> so, everyone, tell us what your porn name is, your porn star name, uh, first name of, you, name of your first pet, and the road that you grew up in. Now, joking aside, though, there are so many, I mean, there's brilliant ones. It's like, you know, Star Wars character. I've seen millions of them. Yeah, yeah. And they're always hilarious. The most recent one is How to Ruin a how to ruin a band's name you just remove the last letter of mm. their name so you've got like fleetwood mar is one of my yeah. favorite ones and but um you can create your own and and you could actually have your own unique way of creating characters based on the, the guy you most hate your, your antagonist should be the first name of the guy you most hated at school because there's always that one kid that everyone didn't you know that you that you didn't like the bully or whoever it was and then i mean what could the surname be mark something like um the, com well, the first is, company you worked for, maybe? Maybe. Of course, what you must never, ever, ever do, if you can possibly avoid it, is name them after a real person. And that, True. Because well, you remember we had our Legal Eagles episode and they were talking about yeah. Jilly Cooper, who I think the story goes, you have to go, and I'll put a link in the show notes so you can check it out. It's one of my favourite episodes. I think it was Jilly Cooper. Inadvertently, she didn't do it intentionally, but she named a doctor gave this doctor a name and this doctor was having affairs and a real Harley Street GP said, I object to this. And, wow. you know, she she had to pay him money. And I think, <gasps> you know, rename the character and reprint the book and all, all that oh kind of hassle. Gosh. So it's worth, um, you know, once if you name your villain, say, uh, after, if you give them a name, it's worth Googling them to make sure that, yes, there will be a real person with that name, but if you make them, say, a GP or a lawyer, especially a lawyer, make sure you don't give them the same name because there could be trouble ahead. Yeah, absolutely. So here's a challenge for everyone's listening. If you've got a combination of how to generate a name, tell us, email us, and we'll stick it on our Facebook pages <laughs> and we'll let people have some fun with it. And then we'll vote, Mark, on what we think is the best name, the best name generator for naming a protagonist 
and naming an antagonist. There's the challenge. So if we can, if we give that out to the world and put that out there, I think that would be a, a, a great service that we'll be doing to all those people that are struggling with their antagonistic names. Mm. And then, of course, they'll have a great story to tell us on the podcast. Because I bet you in two years from now, I'll have someone on who's a multi-billion seller and say, and we'll say, so how did what, how do you come up? And they, well, I was listening to like episode four hundred. <laughs> it's going to happen. I can totally see it happening. Brilliant. Now, here's here's a subject that is very close to both of our hearts. And Callie talked about how she uses a notebook in yes. her writing process. Yeah. 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 Uh, I, I mean, yeah. we talked, I think over the years, I've seen you move gradually and now completely into like the notebook being a really important part of your writing process, especially that yep. first draft, right? It's, it's happened live on the podcast over time. Um, and I've got a big pile of them here, different one for each project. And there, I've got a general one that I just have for general notes. But for the Woodville books, <laughs> I've gone a bit ridiculous because I, I'm, I'm using the, these are paper blanks, which are horribly expensive. Um, but I got one because I was given a gift voucher for foils, and I, I just and I thought I'm going to write the next Woodville book in one of these. And of course, it's not long enough for one of them. I'm, I'm, I'm on my second one already. Oh. The, the, they got these little clasps, and they look amazing. And they got it looks, this it of, looks like something. You'd find like frodo would find in lord of the rings exactly right you know so you're a complete sucker for that but the paper is really good quality and it's got a little ribbon and everything uh, and, and i know some people go and we'll, we'll, we'll talk about this a bit more you know this this whole idea that oh the book is too nice to write in nah no 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 full of scribbles there's nothing mm. i love more than a scribbly page uh and things crossed out and things overwritten and things written in the margins i love it well, here's the thing, Mark, as well. When you think about it, you know, down the road, when you're like, um, you know, you know, multi, multi-million selling author and in years to come, your estate will have that tome. And, you know, no one's ever sold a, a copy of Word, at an, a Word document at an auction, as far as I'm aware. So there's no. something, there's something that you're creating there that becomes part of your personal history as well in a family heirloom. When people want to go back and look at how Mark created this Witches of Woodville book, and they can see all the scribbles and notes. That is an insight into your mind, and I—you don't get God that outside them. of that. <laughs> oh, I know, right? If they can make oh, sense of it. But, but yeah, first, first of all, they need to be able to read my handwriting, which is, yeah, uh, which is the software hasn't been developed right? yet that can do that. Also, just to explain, those numbers at the bottom of each page—that's my my word count every day and oh. i just like to say it's not 100 percent accurate i might you know yeah. i only do this once yeah one two three four five six, seven, seven, you know so that's not going to be accurate but that's what those numbers are in the margins at the bottom um yeah all sorts of weird stuff crossed out and and it is i do write as if i'm writing in conversation with myself so just to get the you know the words coming i will sometimes literally write okay where did we last see Faye? what does she, what is she thinking what needs to happen next you know just almost just free writing kind of stuff that gets the pen moving and before i know it i'm actually writing prose that you know might end up in a book yeah and i think it's i think it's super important for people who if people have a kind of if they're struggling with electronics i think for me do you know what it is mm. for me and the reason why i don't read on a kindle i don't read ebooks very often i mean i will mm. occasionally if we get sent one that we've got to read for the podcast yeah. but um and it's the only format we've got it in but i love reading physical books and i love writing in physical books and i'll tell you the one reason why is that the rest of my day i'm sitting in front of a screen yeah, and for yeah, me yeah. it's actually a way of it's 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 like it's like a well-being exercise for me it's like meditation sitting and writing with a book it feels so like ah oh, so nice and so i think that's the bit no one's talking about it's the fact that actually screens are now like phones and mon i got two monitors here in front of me it's like i mean cinema in here and and i and i do I, I work in the office i spend i can spend 8 10 hours a day sitting in the office in front of screens so I find for me the joy of going down the road into the park or sitting at the beach with a book and just writing in it. It's like profound. <laughs> it's, it's a beautiful experience. Yeah. And I and I think that's why even more so today, notebooks are becoming more important or less important because of technology. Yeah. Although they're not cheap. I mean, I, I, well, I, 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 I'd look on the, the Papier website, you know, and um, people complain about spending a tenner on a book or paperback or whatever these things are between 20 and 30 i mean they're personalized you know and i'm sure the paper's lovely 
I, but, um, I will yeah. say it's kind of ironic that people complain about spending six ninety nine on a book full of lovely, beautiful words that someone spent two, three years creating, and yet they'll quite happily go out and spend twenty five or thirty pounds yeah. on a book with blank pages in it. Blank pages. Like, the irony in the wrong business. However, <laughs> however, for all the notepad manufacturers out there, I would like to put forward a case for them because I actually think this is there's certain things in life that I will I will happily and um, invest money in that is a good mm. pair of shoes a good mattress <laughs> and a good yeah. notebook and right. the reason being is that if you're if you're just going to write scribble scribble notes and it's just a rough like you know you know grocery lists yeah pick, get something cheap pitch it but i've realized over the years i've got a whole library now of bullet journals i like look at them as like you know vol i'm on volume 10 mm. and at the beginning i used to buy cheapo like the cheapest like eight dollar i won't say where i got them from but you know, they barely made it through the six months I was writing them mm. before the spine was giving way and pages were falling out. And so I think if you're going to be writing novels in books or you're going to be writing a journal that you want to become part of your kind of life history, invest in a good notebook because mm. at the end of the day, it, it's one of those things that will hopefully outlast you. And so, you know, good stitching, good good quality paper. And there's something, don't you think, Mark, there's something nice about writing on quality paper you really notice the difference that my you know that it glides across the paper it's a different it really experience does. isn't it yeah, yeah yeah it is and yeah. and and also there's things like I've, I've i've done i've done it all i've like look i've tried different pens out looking at the bleed on the other side of the page because it's not i was using a highlighter cheap highlighter the other day a, a bright um yellow one on a book that i'm i'm reading and on the opposite page it literally was almost as bright and i was like oh crap I'll ch chuck the pen away so <laughs> you know paper is also important as well but we're getting we're geeking out there do you know but, there yeah. are people look, on, look. on tiktok and instagram they have entire videos like one hour videos about the best pens to buy the best paper to buy it's like people look, love this stuff don't think you need to buy a posh notebook to be a best-selling novelist either no. you can do it on a you know a 99p book from the pound store or whatever yeah. you know so it, it can be done you just need a pen or a pencil and and as much paper as you can get your words on so yeah. you know it's just it's just after a while you, you get you start fetishizing these things and you, it, it, you, it you become your own worst enemy before you know, know. It's 30 quid in a notebook yeah exactly <laughs> and then having your name i think callie said that she had her name yes. actually customized on personalized yeah, which yeah, is yeah. kind of cool so listen if you can afford that awesome um <laughs> we checked them out actually we were interested in going and checking them out um and, and we put a link to their what we did though cheekily is we put a link to their website via our page and we're going to like do some kind of affiliate thing with them which means that if you if you buy a book from papier mark and i might be able to get a free notebook <laughs> <laughs> Shameless. See, Shameless. You got whatever you can. Perfect right? gift for Christmas, apart gift from my books. That's right. <laughs> and then, and then, and then we will write in that notebook uh, a new novel, and we'll and we'll say it's because of you guys. So, if you want to go and check out those ones, go via that <laughs> link. It is an affiliate link. We have to declare that. But you know, we'll do anything we can to keep the podcast going. So, yeah, bestsellerexperiment.com forward slash papier p a p i e r, and that will go to their website. And if you buy a book from them, I think you'll get. Ten dollars off, and we'll get five dollars, something like that. And then, if we can get enough to get a notebook Details. between us, maybe yeah. you know, we'll split it down the middle. <laughs> you can send my half to Canada. <laughs> so, Mark, the other thing that came up, which is very, very uh, interesting, is how things are changing with online book launches. I mean, we talked about like with obviously through COVID, it, everyone was forced to do it. But as we said, there's always benefits that come from COVID, and I think, I think now the online book launches are absolutely here to stay. I think they're almost uh, an, essential, an essential part of any book launch. Why would you not reach the whole world with your book launch rather than your local bookshop? I mean, what, what, do you, what do you feel about that? Because you've done a number of them. Absolutely. I mean, for, for a start, there's an accessibility thing. There are always people who, for whatever reason, can't go out, can't make it up, or you know, if they're vulnerable to COVID, don't want to go out, and who can blame them? So I think uh, I've seen this... Uh, conferences and festivals and you know things like that where they're using something like discord or zoom or streamyard or whatever to allow people to be part of that that experience one way or another and it seems daft not to do it because the tech 
is so easy now, so easy now. You can do it on your phone. If you've got a good broadband connection, you know, it's it's a, it's a doddle to do. So why not do it? And um, I, I love them now, you know. And as uh, Callie was saying, you know, you're sitting there, got your glass of water, you've got, you know, a room full of people that you might not get in a bookshop, uh, all sort of, you know, hanging on your every word, asking questions, getting engaged, feeling part of the process. And I think that's something that's so important when you're, you know, you're nurturing your readership, the people who read your books, who are going to, you know, come back and read more and tell their friends. If you make them feel part of a, an exclusive group or a family, they're much more likely to eulogize about you. Is that the right word? Probably not. Mm. Uh, to enthuse about you to other people uh, across the world and sell more books. So it's it seems you know silly that we don't. And I'm, I I mentioned Mark Edwards there, and you know when we had him on the show quite early on, what he was doing was fairly unique, having these live launches from his home. And he was a real sort of pioneer of that, and it's it's kind of become the norm now. And um, so, yeah, it's uh, I think they're definitely here to stay. Well, the other thing that I find fascinating is it's a bit you know I, whenever I've seen like local local bookshop launches, um, I mean, there's been times when I've walked into a bookstore, and this breaks my heart, but I've walked into a bookstore just to browse, not really you know it might be a Saturday afternoon, and there's there's the shopkeeper and one person standing in the store and it's the book launch of their book and they they oh, yeah. you, have you, you've had that and i'm sure a lot of people have been on the receiving end of it and you kind of feel really well first you feel really bad because no matter what their book's about you kind of feel obliged that you've got to kind of buy it because you think um you feel sorry i feel sorry it's like because sometimes book launches are not done well they're not public you know if the if the author and the bookshop together don't go out and really publicize it do a local press article all that good stuff no one's going to know about it. So it's literally the people that walk into the store. But even on a successful book launch in a local store, I mean, what are we talking? Maybe, you know, a good crowd would be 25 people. And um, and yet online, you can easily get, if you've started building a main list and done all the stuff we've been teaching about for years, you can easily get 25, if not 50, if not maybe 75 or 100. And so just from the kind of breadth of people that you can get in, I think doing the combination is really important. The other thing that I think is essential is, again, I use another music analogy. It's a bit like, and it's not quite as cool, but it's a bit like going and seeing your favorite band live and that you have a different relationship with that band when you've seen them in the flesh. There's something about, you always listen to their music differently when you've actually been a part of a live gig. And that's why live music is is so huge and so important and the lifeblood of every musician. And I think the same effect happens um, to an extent when people get to meet an author, they're more likely to like say, you should really read this author, you know, their book's awesome. And I got to meet them and they were really lovely. You know, it's that kind of personal side of things, which I know a lot of writers, some writers don't feel very comfortable with, which is fair enough, but it, it's a whole other area, which I think is going to develop a lot more over the next few years because of online. And it's not the same. I know it's not the same online, is it? Like meeting it's, someone in a bookshop. And, but yes, but it's not necessarily worse or better. It's a different experience. It's a different experience and I think yeah. it's, it's part of that that launch week is one of those things yeah. that I think we should, should we be should all list, be looking to do. And I've um, I love doing both. Shall I tell you my um, one person turning? Yes, out I want to hear the story. Go on. Well, this was uh, this was just after Robot Overlords came out, and I was sent to the Bradford Literary Festival, and I was really excited because I'd been to the Bradford Waterstones, which is one of the most gorgeous bookshops in the world folks do yourself a favor google waterstones bradford it used to be a wool exchange and it's it's got these marble columns it's it's wow. gorgeous absolutely so i was like yeah i i met neil first time i ever met neil gaiman was there wow. i drag i dragged my poor wife up to the imax at the um because at the time it was the only imax in the uk at the at the film museum in bradford and um uh, we, we met Neil Gaiman there when uh, Neverwhere was on TV and he signed my first edition of Good Omens. That's another story. Uh, so, yeah, I went up to the Bradford Literary Festival. Uh, now, Bradford Literary Festival, in retrospect, this is so obvious, but Bradford Literary Festival it's, is very literary and it's very big on kind of books on politics. And, uh, you know, it's it's more of a 
it's very literary, very political, you know, and my little book about robots. Well, so I, I go to Waterstones and I'm, I'm there with um, David Barnett. David, bless him, looked after me for the day um, and uh, was sort of taking me around. And we went to the bookshop and there was no one there. No one, not sausage. So what they did, I feel so sorry for this kid. Like I think it was the manager or assistant manager's son who was about the right age, 10 or 11, was sort of wheeled out to meet me, the poor kid. And he had this look at his face as if, why am I here? Why am I doing this? So that I wouldn't feel bad. So anyway, I signed his book. Uh, it get, the, what made me feel less bad about it is that in the same week, even Ben Aronovich only got eight people turning up to his event. So, you, you know, know, horses for courses. It so was the wrong wrong festival for the wrong book. But, uh, yeah, and thanks to David for showing me around. It was uh, it, looking after me. That story, Mark, <laughs> reminds me of the, the part in Back to Reality we wrote about the staged crowd. Do you remember? <laughs> when she has her first press launch in that's probably where it came from LA right <laughs> yeah there's always a bit there's a bit of a everything you read in back to reality um is kind of, mm. and actually all the Glastonbury stuff a lot of that comes from yeah, my yeah, experience yeah. right there's a lot of stuff in there so it's great so as as, as Brian Cranston told us and we remind everyone you know no matter what you no know, how bad as opportunity or situation happens there's always a good story that comes out the back of it <laughs> it's great <laughs> brilliant stuff well we would like to talk much more about um this wonderful interview with with Callie with CL Taylor but we don't have time to do it on this podcast but if you would like to join us for the extended podcast that is for all academy members and patrons we are going to talk about wants needs and flaws we're going to talk about resolutions inciting incidences the fear of the first page and why you don't want to spoil our idea by writing it and why it's important to start that first chapter taking the pressure off so if you want to join us in an extra maybe 20 30 minutes of deep diving on those things pop along to bestsellerexperiment.com forward slash support and become a supporter of the podcast today so mr stay let's talk about the wins on social media this week yeah i got some lovely stuff we've got a couple but they're quite long uh and i want to i want to go into this a bit so we got a lovely lovely uh message from natalie perry who was on the podcast because she looked after me when I went to the Scooby conference a few years ago. So I must dig that out and put a link in the show notes. And Natalie is a children's author and illustrator. And um, she's uh, she wrote to us a few weeks ago saying, I'm almost, you know, I'm sending my stuff out there. I've been doing this for years. Uh, and she sent us a lovely note, essentially saying, I'm on the verge of giving up, but you guys keep me going, which I thought was lovely. Well, anyway, she says, things have been unreal since I wrote to you last. And I'm so excited to say that in the last couple of weeks, I've been offered and accepted representation by a literary agent. It's all still feeling a little floaty and surreal. Everything was confirmed on Friday. I'm still waiting for someone to tell me they meant another Natalie with a different manuscript. But I asked, it's definitely me. And he wants to work with me. Phew. And she says, I sent you both a huge thank you as I was coming out of a tough time in my writing. I want to send another thank you as I cheerfully embark on the next leg of my journey. I am indeed taking the long and convoluted road to publication, but I'm enjoying the view as I go. The bestseller experiment is a sort of writing equivalent to energy bars and a first aid kit I carry with me on the way, covering everything from accountability to industry information to caring for your mental health and inspiring stories. It's everything a writer needs for the long and bumpy road. And this is just, I mean, she's, she put on uh, her Instagram, 10 years of writing for young people, 130 query letters. Wow. 130 <clears throat> query letters. I know people go, well, I've sent 10 out and I've not heard anything back. 130. So um, this is, this is just wonderful. So Nestle, who writes as Poppy T. Perry, Nestle, Thank you so much for that. You're going to inspire so many people with this. And thank you for all your support and listening and and everything over the years. It's just been amazing. And I could not be happier for you. Yeah. And, and, and Natalie, congratulations on your persistency, because we've always said this over and over and over on the podcast, yeah. is that you only, you only fail when you give up. You only fail when you give up. And yeah, 130 letters, and now it's happened for you. And now you get to tell the story. That's the bit I love. You get to go out there and say, yeah, 100, and now you get to see what happens, how your career potentially unfolds and and, and inspire everyone else who's there thinking, yeah. it's never going to happen and I'm going to give up. I think it's brilliant. 
Well, I did have a cheeky thought in the background, Mark, when you said about, you know, is it the same Natalie? I was wondering if when she submits a manuscript to the uh, the agent and he says, oh, I thought you were going to tell us about Russell Brand and, and, and all the uh, music that you're doing. Katy Perry. Oh, oh, Natalie. Right? <laughs> <laughs> but I'm sure you're good. I'm sure you're good, Natalie. Yeah, brilliant, brilliant stuff. She's absolutely brilliant. And over on the over on the Academy, uh, a lovely note from uh, in the wind section from Kay Vincent, who's the headline is, this accountability thing, really works for me. So the main reason for joining the Academy was that I wanted to edit and finish my fantasy novel. So far, I've been having fun following the roadmap modules uh, and av- avoiding the actual thing that I joined up for. Uh, but then when she joined, uh, she signed up for a writing buddy and she's got Charlotte and Rosie writing buddies. It's just, just the mere knowledge that I had an accountability partner push me into finally dusting off my manuscript yesterday. And then I discovered a brilliant but awful thing. I could have sworn that the story was around 80,000 words, but it turns out that just before the COVID blah, I'd done a load of work on the manuscript and managed to reach over 130,000 words and then somehow completely forgotten I'd done it. If only I'd known, I might have finished the whole first draft by now. I feel horrified and elated at the same time. How could I have forgotten I'd done all that work? Uh, So yes, it turns out that having the accountability of a writing buddy combined with a daily target for editing and writing seems to work for me. If anyone else is a black belt level procrastinator like me i thoroughly recommend signing up as a writing buddy i'll see you over on the spreadsheet in november isn't that brilliant that's Thank you so much that, and for, for people hearing that i think in accountability buddy what's all that about well on the academy we actually have a section where you can sign up for a monthly writing buddy and we change people we, we change it every month so you get to know know somebody but you're both as kind of committed to it as each other because you're both in there trying to achieve the same thing and it's the reason that it's been you know that that I developed that in the academy is it's super important to make it as easy as possible to find these people. I think in in life in general, I mean, we know it works for things like, you know, if you want to go running and you find a, a buddy that you can will get you out of bed at 6.30 in the morning and their tracksuit waiting at the door, you know mm-hmm. you're going to have to go and join them. And I've done it. I've, I've, had a, I've had writing buddies on the academy myself and it's brilliant. And you get to also go through not just, you know, challenges, oh, I didn't get to write today or whatever it might be, but you also get to talk about some of the you know, you realize you're not alone. You realize that everyone else is going through the same challenges that you are when you, when you kind of journey with someone for that month. So yeah, it's something I highly recommend if you haven't got an accountability buddy yet. Brilliant. It's great stuff. Folks, uh, you can find us on social media. On Facebook, we're Bestseller Experiment. On Twitter and Instagram, we are at Bestseller XP. Uh, if you want to drop us a line, go to bestsellerexperiment.com. There's a contact tab there. You can email us directly. And if you've enjoyed this episode with Kelly or any of the episodes of our amazing authors and guests, uh, please subscribe, give us a rating, give us a review wherever you get your podcasts. And thanks as always to uh, JD and Dave, our editors. Absolutely. And don't forget, folks, if you'd like to create the writing habit of a lifetime, 200 word challenge is a free uh, challenge where we say, come along and try it for a week. See if you can write for seven days consecutively, 200 words a day. It will, I promise you, if you stick with it, it will change your writing life. And so pop along to 200wordchallenge.com. And also, if you didn't hear the extended version of this podcast, remember you can hear an extra I think about 30 minutes, Mark, wasn't it, um, of uh, deep diving into so many of the different areas that Callie talked about. And you can get that episode by going to bestsellerexperiment.com forward slash support or joining the Bestseller Academy at academy.bestsellerexperiment.com. And finally, a quick reminder for everyone, if you want to join us at the live show, don't forget to sign up to the newsletter. Pop along to bestsellerexperiment.com and then click on the newsletter link, pop in your name, and we will send you um, updates and a weekly email about the Academy. And Mr. State, if uh, if your week is anywhere as uh, as long as this podcast it's going to be a good one (laughs) absolutely brilliant so thank you everyone for joining us and again we hope you have an incredible writing week we hope you've been inspired and if you have been inspired please write in and let us know tell us your story tell us how something an author said on this podcast changed your writing life we always love to get those and you can do that by going to the contact us page on our website at bestsellerexperiment.com so it's a goodbye from mark one And a tatty bye from Mark 2. Goodbye!